Matthew 23, starting in verse 1. If you're new to the Bible, uh, and if you have a Bible, you can find a table of contents in the very front of it. Find a page number for Matthew. Matthew chapter 23, we're going to read verses 1 through verse 12. Please follow along in your copy as I read from the English Standard Version. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, but they make their phylacteries broad and their And their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts, the best seats in the synagogue, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us this morning as we dive into his word. Father, we come into this recognizing that you have revealed to your, to yourself to us through the word, through these words. And we believe that there is power when you speak. We ask God that there would be power in our midst today, that you would speak to us, convict us of our sin, point us to Jesus Christ. I pray that we will experience Christ this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The great American novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne once said, No man, for any considerable period, can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which may be the true self. Is the face that you are showing everyone the real you? I want to talk to you today on this topic, the face of the fraud, the face of a fraud. Reality check number one, there are fraudulent authorities that exist today. People who have disciplees mentees, followings, readership, and even congregations who are frauds, phonies. Teaching from their own authority, piling up on people their own standards, ideas, myths, and truths. 
reality check number two is that every Christian has the potential of falling into this themselves. Being a phony remains a danger for every single one of us. When you look at this chapter, these verses, what we see in verses 11 and 12, I want to direct your attention to those two verses. It says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. These verses are rooted in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, which says, Whoever is the greatest among you is the one who serves. Jesus has been flipping the paradigm his entire ministry. Matthew has been showing us how Jesus has been going, uh, 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 confronting this full frontal assault, if you would, against the religious establishment of his day. Jesus' followers are not to be about self-exaltation, but they are to be about an inward humility before God. The reality is this. This kind of greatness that Jesus describes is a greatness that the world will never see. This is why one theologian said this. He says, it's not natural law. But what Jesus is teaching here is kingdom law. Let me explain it to you with these two questions. Number one, who is the greatest servant to have ever lived? Jesus. Thank you, Tony. Jesus is the greatest servant to have ever lived. Question number two, who is the most highly exalted person to have ever lived? Come on, help me out here. Jesus is. Listen, the one who is the greatest servant, there is no one who will serve in a greater capacity than Jesus. You will never serve the world, your family, your friends in a greater way than Jesus did. Jesus is the greatest servant to have ever lived. And the one who serves the greatest ends up being what? The most highly exalted This is the teaching of Jesus. This is not natural law. This is kingdom law. And this is what we're seeing here. It's rooted in that kind of mentality that it's it's the greatest. Jesus Christ Himself, the greatest servant, who is the most highly exalted. And that is the way that it is to be with all of us. So therefore, then, in Matthew chapter 16... Matthew starts showing us that the Pharisees are all about signs. They want to see signs, but they refuse to see the sign of Jesus Christ Himself. In Matthew chapter 19 and 20, he gives us parables and talks about the Pharisees as self-righteous and shows the, uh, of their peril. In chapter 21 and chapter 22, he, he compares the fakes versus the frauds. As chapter 22 goes on, he shows how the greatest religious minds of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, sought to stump Jesus and they couldn't stop Him. 
What Matthew is doing for us is not just simply negative. He's showing us negative, the negative reality of these people, groups that exist, these frauds, these phonies, these fakes. And he's saying, don't be like them. But be like Jesus. So since Jesus is taking down the frauds, we need to know who a fraud is. And we need to use this to not just look down on others. You know, I heard someone say uh, that there was a woman after the service, every, every week after the service, she would come to the preacher and she would say, that was such a great sermon. I'm sure that applies to so many people here. Every week she would say that. But never to her. Um, as we see this, we're not just looking down on others. But we are seeing this in the way that Jesus meant it to come to his disciples. And he's saying this, I want to show you the face of the fraud so you can examine your own heart and make sure you're not one of them. So what does the phony look like? Let me describe the fraud's face to you in four different categories from these verses. Number one, they are hypocrites. They're filled with religious teaching, but they lack spiritual practice. They're hypocrites. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Imagine you got a membership at the YMCA right around the corner here on Druid Hill Avenue, and you went in and said, hey, I want to sign up for a, <clears throat> for a trainer. So you're going to pay the big bucks, get the trainer, and uh, hoping that this trainer can whip you into shape. And so the trainer takes you down to the weight room and um, shows you how to use the machines, the curl machine, the squat machine, and the leg press, and whatever it is that the trainer wants to teach you. Um, and you're on these things, and you're doing these things, you're exercising, but over time what you realize is that this trainer's muscles are actually quite flabby. And as you, uh, you kind of think back on your time here at the Y, I'm not, saying the, I'm not putting down the trainers at the Y, by the way, so... I'm a big fan. You're thinking your time with the Y here, and you think to yourself, I've never seen this trainer work out once in my life. So one day you ask the trainer to get on one of the machines, and uh, he or she uh, gives it a shot and can't even do it. All right. A.W. Tozer, he said this. He said, unused truth becomes as useless as unused muscles. Unused truth becomes as useless as unused muscles. Listen, we got religious leaders here. He talks about scribes. These guys are the experts in the Torah, in the Old Testament. They know it front to back. They can quote it. They've memorized it. They're the experts. We've got the scribes. They're the teachers of the law. We've also got the Pharisees. These guys are like the theologians. They're the experts in theology, and they can piece it all together. They've got so much truth in their head. What does A.W. Tozer say? Unused truth becomes as useless as unused muscles. They've got it in their head, but they're not practicing it. We see this in verse 2 as he goes on. He says, they sit in Moses' seat. Now, every town in this day had a synagogue. And excavations have shown that in these synagogues, there was actually a stone chair in the synagogue. And that was called the chair of Moses. Now, remember, Moses wrote the five, first five books of the Bible. Therefore, Moses, the author of the law, 
And so they would say, this is the chair of Moses, meaning this is the place where someone sits in Moses' chair. This is a chair of authority. This is a chair where the scriptures are expounded. Today we might call it like a pulpit, say. Probably our closest analogy. He's saying these religious leaders, these scribes and these Pharisees, they sit in Moses' chair. They sit in this position of authority, teaching the Word of God. Listen, no preacher has any authority beyond God's Word. The only authority any preacher has is when he is rightfully explaining, interpreting, and applying God's Word. So then, therefore, the one who has the job of delivering the message of God is the one who has authority. And what Jesus is saying is this. First, he's saying even false teachers who rightly explain, interpret, and apply portions of the Bible have authority. What he says is, do what they say. So as they are taking the Scriptures and they're teaching them to you and applying, do it. They're, 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 they have that authority. They, they are rightfully explaining God's Word to you. But then it's almost as if he's just being sarcastic. Because he says, but don't do what they do. You guys ever heard the term, practice what you preach? Oh, we see it right here. What do they not do? What do these frauds not do? They don't practice what they preach. They've got flabby theological muscles. They don't put the truth into practice. They've got a head knowledge, but it hasn't transformed into the heart. Friends, let me ask you some questions. Do you have smooth words, but you live a rough life? This would be the guy who loved to talk about Ephesians chapter 5, and then he goes home and he hits his wife. This would be like the person who wants to change their block while they're gossiping about their neighbor. This is the person who says, do all things for the glory of God, and they post about it and, and meme it on social media, yet they're lazy at their job. This is the person who loves to talk about how much they value church family, yet they never show up to church. They've got, they've, they've got the ideas in their head, and they say the right things, but don't do what they do. They don't practice what they preach. Are you with me so far? Now, in Christian community, it is very hard to be a hypocrite. I'm not talking about when you're in real, ongoing Christian community. Because we see each other, we, we eat with each other, we watch each other, we hang out in each other's houses, we're checking up on each other. And it's harder and harder when you're in Christian community to be a hypocrite. And so what we do is we cling to Christ. Listen, compare these religious leaders with Jesus himself. Jesus who said, greater love has no man than this, than the one who lays down his life for his brother. And then Jesus went out and he died for you. Jesus practiced what he preached. Secondly, they, were, they are abusers. 
They are hypocrites. Secondly, they are abusers. They make religious demands, and they lack sincere participation. We see this in verse 4. When, when my wife and I, a couple years ago, we were putting new tile in our kitchen. And so we bought tile at this place out in Catonsville, I believe, and uh, I drove out there with our 89 Oldsmobile, R.I.P., I love that car, and uh, realized as I'm putting the tile into the trunk of my car, I realized tile is quite heavy. And so we're putting enough tile to do our kitchen floor into the trunk of my car, and within about 15 minutes, my car went from like an a 89 Oldsmobile with normal suspension to a, to a lowrider. And I drove home like six inches closer to the ground. My car couldn't take it, and the shocks were never the same after that, right? What we see here is this is what the re- these, these, these frauds do in verse 4. It says they tie up heavy burdens. They're hard to bear. They lay them on you. Heavy burdens. This is like animal language. He'll be referring to the oxes, the, the load-bearing animals of the day. And he's saying what they do is they, they put more weight and more burdens on these poor animals than they can possibly bear, and they don't help them with it. This is referring to all of these extra-biblical requirements and standards and ideas that these religious leaders are putting onto people. For example, let me give you a quick example. There was a law that they had in Jesus' day which said that you're not allowed to carry a stick across a field uh, of a hundred feet or so um, because you might drop that, oh, I'm sorry, this is on the Sabbath day, because you might drop that stick and the stick would go into the ground and then you're plowing and you're not allowed to plow on the Sabbath. So then therefore you're not allowed to carry these sticks, right? So they had all of these additional laws and they're putting them on the people and he says that they're not willing to lift a finger. It doesn't mean that they're not willing to abide by their own standards. They probably do. But what he's talking about is they're, they're, over, they're, they're uh, burdening these people with guilt. And they're not willing to help the individual who is being crushed underneath the guilt of all that they're putting on them. This is really what frauds do. They load you up with guilt. Listen, let's talk about guilt for a min- minute. Kids in the room. I think you will resonate with this and agree, understand, I believe. I heard that kids feel guilty almost all the time. Like, you don't have to teach a kid. This is some psychologist. You don't don't have to teach a kid what guilt is. But they just feel bad. They feel like they're always a problem to their parents, that they're never doing enough. Kids have a sense of guilt. We're born, I believe, with guilt. And then we carry that. And this is why we end up sitting in rooms talking to people laying on on a couch and talking to some counselor, right? It's because we're dealing with all the guilt that we, we're carrying from our past. All the, way, all the way back to when we were children. Oh, and then as we get older, the world just continues to put more and more guilt on us. Do more fill-in-the-blank. Be more fill-in-the-blank. Commercials, advertisements, words we hear from those that give us an education. We we can never do enough. There's always something else that we are lacking. And we are living, I believe, as creatures of guilt. 
And then what these frauds do is they only put more guilt on. Now this can look a hundred different ways. This could look like religious fundamentalism. Where preachers are pounding the pulpit and they're saying don't do this. And all these extra biblical rules and requirements. Don't work in an establishment where people get drunk. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Putting more guilt on us than than God puts on us. Um, This could look like cults. Or people that kind of want to be a cult. Like, all the singles need to live together. All right? If you're going to be a single in this church, you've got to have a roommate. You've got to, like, the Bible doesn't say that. You guys tracking with me? Like, just these man-made ideas that may have some wisdom to it, but, but the Bible doesn't give it these extra biblical ideas and rules. Or, what's much more subtle and prevalent in our culture is all the self-help junk that's out there. Be better. Do better. Change your mind, change your life. It sounds nice, and it gets on daytime TV, but it's just nothing but fraudulent authorities putting more guilt on us. Listen, being right is a burden that you cannot bear. It's too much. Changing yourself is a burden that you cannot bear. We contrast this with Jesus Christ, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Thirdly, they are imposters. So they're not only hypocrites and abusers, but they are imposters. They've got, listen, religious style, but they lack spiritual substance. They've got religious style. They're all style, but they lack spiritual substance. I remember going to basketball camps when I was younger, and every year at our basketball camp that I would go to, there would always be this one guy that would come, and he was this tall dude, pretty well built, looked like a good athlete. He would come in wearing new Jordans and one gear, which was so cool back in the day. He had a wristband right here where Michael Jordan would wear it, right? Sometimes he'd have a headband on. He would sit in the cafe and flirt with the girls that work in the cafe there right outside the gym. But when he got inside the gym and got on the court, what you would discover, ladies, if you were flirting with this guy, but you weren't allowed inside the gym, all right? So you're just taking his word for it. What you would discover is that he had nothing on the court. He couldn't play basketball, but he looked like an NBA player, all right? He had all of the style, but he's got no substance. Are you tracking with me here? This is the fraud. They've got all of the style, but they've got no substance. Oh, let's look at it. He describes them. He says they were these phylacteries. What's a phylactery? Well, it's a little box that would have four Hebrew texts in it, and and they would wear it on either their forehead or on their arm as an application of Deuteronomy 6.8. Style. 
They've got these fringes, which are these tassels that would be wear, worn on the corner of their garments as a way of applying Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 12. And they love to wear their phylacteries, and they love their fringes, he says, to be long. They love, in verse 6, to sit in the place of honor at feasts. Dinner parties were a big deal back then. And based on where the, the host sat you, that determined your status in the community. So they love sitting at the head of the table at dinner parties and in uh, seats of honor in the synagogues, the best seats where you sat mattered. They love being called rabbi in verse 7. They love the title rabbi. Why is that? It's because in this day, rabbis were to be obeyed without question. Their followers could not walk in front of them or beside them, but their followers had to walk behind them, and they love it. They look like a million spiritual bucks, Jesus is saying. The problem is they have no substance. Listen, external piety will never seep through your skin and become internal holiness. Style does not bring you any substance. What you look like on the outside says nothing about what's on the inside. And there are some frauds today who love style. I'm talking about religious style. They put PTL on every status. You can't put anything... Uh, on social media without them commenting with, a, with, with praise hands. Praise the Lord. PTL. They love coming across as religious. In some traditions, it might be a fancy robe and, and a big hat, and that says you are a religious leader and you've got, you've got some authority. In other traditions, it could be a pulpit and a raised podium. And a man loves standing there. But it's all style and it's no substance. Examine your heart. Are you more about style or substance? Friends, listen, contrast this to Jesus once again. Jesus was all substance and no style. In Isaiah, it says Jesus was nothing to look at. There's nothing about him physically that would have attracted you to him. What was it that attracted people to Jesus? It wasn't his outward appearance, and it wasn't the, the phylacteries and the long fringes and all this religious style. What was it that attracted people to Jesus? It was his substance. He's the light of the world. He is the rock. He is truth. He is righteousness. He is God incarnate. He is Lord, and he is Savior. Lastly, quickly, they are also pretentious. All right, let me remind you, we got hypocrites, they're abusers, they're imposters, and they are pretentious. They love religious titles, but they despise true spiritual submission. Look at verse 8. He says, but you. So now he's actually turning his attention directly to his followers, and he's basically saying, don't be like these frauds. 
Don't be like these abuse. But you. This is the way you're going to be. You are not to be people who call each other rabbi. What does he mean by that? Well, he's, he's saying this, 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 uh, this title of rabbi, which refers to this, this sort of braggadocious, uh, superhuman approach that these religious leaders have, that is not to be known among you. But he says instead you're to treat each other like brothers. The way that you're to respond to each other is not through lifting yourself up against another, but it's through being brother and sister. Every spiritual leader today is a family member, brother, sister. He goes on and he says, don't call, each, uh, don't, don't call someone else father. What does he mean by that? Well, the, the old teachers of the law that were revered by these religious leaders were called fathers. They are the fathers of our faith. The problem was that these old teachers of the law misinterpreted the Old Testament. And this is where the Pharisees are, are getting their information from, and they're revering these men, calling them our fathers. And he's like, don't call them fathers. Don't call anybody fathers. You've got one fatherly authority, and that is the Father of Jesus Christ, God Himself. He is your authority. He goes on, don't call anybody instructors. Are you not to be called instructors? Verse 10, this is referring to that seat of authority and, and, and craving uh, that attention that comes with sitting in that seat. Now just briefly, is Jesus saying you can't ever use these words? That you're not allowed to call your dad father or call your professor an instructor? No, of course not. In the same way that uh, in chapter 5 he says don't take oaths doesn't mean that if you're sitting in court and they say raise your right hand, you're not allowed to do that. What Jesus is getting at is all of what's associated in his day with these terms. And that is this kind of fraudulent, lifting myself up, self-exalting, external piety that is embraced by these religious leaders. Family, do not confuse a show of godliness with genuine godliness. Let me repeat that again, just in case you're falling asleep. You're waking up right now. This is the point of the message. All right? Listen to me. Don't confuse genuine... See, I've already messed it up. Don't confuse an external show of godliness with genuine godliness. There are religious leaders who, take abu uh, who abuse religious freedom. Listen, because we, we have religious freedom in the country, praise God for that. One of the ironic downsides of religious freedom is that just anybody can go out there and start a church and get themselves together and, and start teaching their own ideas, not founded on the Word of God, but founded on their own, uh, their own ideas, their own authority. They can call themselves a bishop and then start another church and then can tell that church what to do. And there are all kinds of like weird religious sects out there. We've got to be aware of them and recognize that Jesus is referring to them. But also, this is not a word to them, it's a word to you. We don't just think that this applies to religious leaders, this applies to us. 
It applies to you sitting in the pew or in the white chair or whatever we have here. This applies to ordinary people. Jesus is turning his attention and he's talking to his regular, ordinary followers. And he's saying, don't you be like them because you are in danger of becoming a fraud. You're in danger of focusing just simply on external godliness and forgetting internal piety. Some people's Facebook profiles are godlier than they are. Some people love to be seen, celebrated, served, set on high, all because they self-exalt. These people despise confessing their sin to one another because it hurts their image. These people despise Christian accountability because that demands authenticity. Listen, Jesus was the greatest to ever exist. The greatest human that ever lived. Jesus is the one rabbi who taught with all authority. He was the one instructor. Jesus was the one sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world. And Jesus became the greatest servant the world has ever known. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, for your hypocrisy. And as He died on the cross, the punishment of God for your hypocrisy was placed onto His own shoulders and He took the full wrath of God for you and it crushed Him and it buried Him and He was laid in a grave completely humbled. Humbled by death. Yet three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and was exalted, lifted, seated at the right hand of God, the greatest servant who, is, who the world uh, has, has ever known, has become the most highly exalted the world has ever seen. Christians trust in Jesus. Do you trust in Jesus? Has there ever been a time where you have trusted fully in the work of Christ, not on your own self-righteousness? Christians are not about the praise of the world, but they are about the commendation of God. Christians are not about external piety, but they are all about seeking internal beauty. Christians are not seeking their own self-righteousness, but they are seeking Christ's righteousness. Christians do not bow before their own image, but Christians bow before the image of God in Jesus Christ. Family, let me ask you this question. Are you an authentic follower of Jesus Christ.
Have you ever fallen on your knees in humility before Him and said, I've got nothing without you. I need you. I'm following you. Have you ever turned from your self-exaltation and turned fully to Christ? Cry out to Him. Help. Help. I need your help. I'm overwhelmed with my own image. God, help me. Save me from myself. This command to have genuine faith, friends, is the most liberating command you'll ever hear. It's a command to have faith. Not to do more. Not to change more. Not to add something else on. But it's a command to put everything off. It's a command to let go of everything and to walk naked before the throne of God with Jesus Christ alone and saying my complete hope, my complete trust, my complete faith is in His work, not in my own. Jesus says, come. Come all who are weary. Come all who are tired of the guilt that's been put on to them from childhood on, on through their adulthood. Do more. Be more. Come all who are weary and heavy laden. Come all who are tired. Come all who are weary of, of trying to impress everybody. Come all who are weary of trying to impress the world. Come all who are weary of focusing on external things. Come all who are weary of seeking their own glory. Come all who are weary of exalting themselves. Come all who are weary who are trying to be famous in this world. Come all who are weary of trying to just make a name for themselves. Come all who are weary. And then Jesus says, I... Christ, the servant, the highly exalted, I, He's going to do something for you. I will give you something. Come all who are tired of this, come to Him, and Christ will give you, finish it, rest. Come on, finish it. I will give you, I will give you rest, rest. Rest. That's what the frauds don't have. They don't have any rest. No, rest in Christ. Rest in Him. And there you find authentic faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for Jesus Christ, the One who has greatly served us, the One who has been highly exalted. We ask, God, that we would come to Him this morning and that we would find His rest. I pray that this rat race of self-righteousness would be something that would be foreign to everybody sitting in this room, but that we would have a genuine relationship and walk with Jesus Christ. Let us be one of your followers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.